to read from the book of Revelation. So let's turn um, to Revelation and chapter 20. So Revelation and chapter 20. We'll read all of this chapter together. And John is writing, of course, on what he sees. Revelation chapter 20. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he sees the dragon, that ancient ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw thrones and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to cover them, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it from his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Amen. Amen. 
And God will, of course, bless his word. It's very important for us to just remind ourselves, refresh ourselves in this, that this book is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not just, I think, the revelation given by him. It is the revelation primarily about him. It is a revelation of Jesus Christ. We see that in the first verses, which God gave to him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. And how did he make it known? Well, it tells us he made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. So what we've we've read tonight and what we have been reading through is the revelation concerning Jesus Christ. He is, of course, he is the prime focus of scripture, as we know, but he is indeed the focus of the book of Revelation. He is the great theme of this book. And we'll think, keep our minds on that tonight. Blessed, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of the prophecy, of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Blessed will be those who hear these words and keep them within them. That will be a blessing. That was what was written to those first century Christians, the original readers. And that which was written applies to each and every one of us tonight. In the world that we live in, a world where I will say that Satan and his demons still influence. I think that's pretty clear. But there's a coming time. A coming time where we will see the righteous reign and rule and judgment of Jesus Christ upon these will. Keep these things that are given to us in our hearts and in our minds that we might be comforted, that we might be encouraged to go on. Because that was the message to those first century Christians who originally heard this. Suffering much persecution, pretty much in the minority. And this was being given to them that they might be encouraged, that they might be comforted to know more about Jesus Christ. What is the great plan of God for the future and for them? And thus they could go on. So for us tonight, that is what we are going to be thinking of, particularly in this passage. You know, you've thought we've thought in recent times how the great commercial and religious systems of this world, the Babylon in chapter 17 and 18, have been dealt with. And last week we thought how the sight and sounds of heaven were brought before us as well. Just at the end of this tribulation period. And at the end of chapter 19, we could have thought how the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered together to make war against him who is sitting on the horse. That's the Lord Jesus, of course, and against his army. That's his people. And the beast was captured and with it the false prophet, two thirds of this unholy trinity. And these two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulphur. Of course, that describes what the Bible calls the Battle of Armageddon, the Battle of Armageddon. Of course, it's not such a battle. It's more of an execution, isn't it? We don't we think of a battle of two sides against each other. but It's really an execution as the Lord Jesus Christ comes. And then we move on into our chapter tonight. So the beast and the false prophet have been captured, but that leaves one more, doesn't it? Satan himself. 
And John, with another chronological marker, right at the start of chapter 20, brings before us the vision. We're going to look at this uh, passage tonight, uh, as the Lord enables in four little sections. Uh, The seizure of Satan, the the rule of Christ, the doom of Satan, and then the judgment of Christ as we go through there and, and see in all this the Lord Jesus Christ. What do we see in these first, this little section then, the seizure of Satan? Well, we've got the angel and the angel is descending. He's coming down and we're seeing described in him is the key which speaks of authority. Remember, of course, it is a delegated authority. The Lord Jesus Christ has told us right at the start of the book of Revelation, I have the keys of death and Hades. He has the authority. But here is an angel uh, given delegated authority by Christ, uh, a key and a great chain given to him, a chain which will be sufficient for the job. You know, as I read this passage I was thinking you might remember the demon possessed man or men in Luke chapter eight, isn't it? And of course, no one could bind them and he broke the chains. Uh, And of course, but this chain will not be broken. This chain is sufficient. I think it's symbolic, by the way. Uh, If you think it's physical, then you feel fine to do that. But I mean, Satan's a spirit, so I don't think he needs a physical chain to bind him. So we're speaking in pictorial language here, of course. But it is in this he is sufficient he is not going to be able to break this power and this angel seizes the dragon as we see the one who is called what do we see he is called that ancient serpent who is the devil and satan four names there we got four names there last week we thought of five names describing our lord jesus christ so i think it's worthwhile just to spend just a little bit of time bringing before us who is this one Who is this one who is now being seized, who is going to be bound, who is going to be shut away, sealed, that he might not deceive the nations any longer? He is called the dragon to remind us of his vicious and cruel and brutish nature. He is called that ancient serpent, taking us right back, isn't it, to Genesis chapter three, the one who came into the garden And the one there who deceived our first parents, Adam and Eve. Of course, Adam neglected his responsibility in the garden. He deceived, he distorted and he deceived successfully. And death came into the world as a result of that deception. He is the devil described as well. The word is diabolos, the liar. The one who is the father of lies. Remember how the Lord Jesus Christ said to those religious leaders of old, you're of your father, the devil. He is a liar and he's a murderer, but he is a liar. So we have one who deals in lies and falsehoods all the time. And the world is full of lies and they come from him. The false ideologies, the false religions, the false ideas, the things that people believe that are false in opposition to God, all are demonic and finally he is satan he is the adversary the enemy of god's people so the brutish vicious cruel one who is there right in genesis chapter three the liar and our adversary and you think how opposite that is to our lord jesus christ because he is not vicious and cruel 
He is the one who is gentle and lowly and loving. He is not the one who sought the ruin of mankind. As that ancient serpent did. Our Lord Jesus Christ is the one who sought the salvation of mankind. He is not the one, our Lord Jesus Christ, who deals in lies. He says, I am the truth. And he brings us truth. The truth that we need to believe. And he is not the enemy. Oh, no. He is our advocate. We have an advocate with the father. That's what John says, doesn't he? If we sin, we have an advocate with the father. He stands beside the father, pleading our blood. Here's our advocate. He intercedes in heaven for us now, for his people. How totally opposite and what a great contrast to the one who is going to be seized. The dragon, the serpent, the devil, the saint, and our Lord Jesus Christ stands. And what has happened to this one? The last person of the very unholy trinity. We see what has happened. He is bound and he is put into the pit or into some of your versions into the abyss or into the bottomless pit and there he is thrown by the power of God given to this angel able to do that and there he is unable what do we see he's unable to deceive we're going to think about that a bit more in a moment so there is coming a time when the one who I would say now is of, of influence in this world and deceiving in this world will be put away. And I think that's very clear. And let me just sort of just stop on this for a moment. Because there'll be many good Christians who, who say that this actually refers to a time period now. That there is, as we'll think, no thousand year, literal thousand year reign of Christ. There is no millennial reign of Christ. And very good Christians will tell you that. Very good Christians will tell me that. Indeed. And um, I've got friends who will tell me that. And I still keep them as friends, you know. <laughs> um, but I had a friend, he, he told me, I know you've probably heard me say this before, you know, I said, well, here we are. We've got this Satan is going to be bound and he's chained. And I said, that doesn't seem the case in the world now. He said, oh, he's on a very long chain. Uh, I think he had his tongue in his cheek and he didn't really give me an answer. But let me tell you what I want to give you a more detail, what the New Testament says about Satan at this time. I'll just give you seven things. You don't have to write them all down, but you can try. He is described presently in 2 Corinthians as the God of this world. He is described in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 as the one who blinds the mind of the lost. He is described in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 2 as the prince of the power of the air. He is described in 2 Corinthians 11 as the one who disguises himself as an angel of light. In James chapter 4 verse 7 we are told to resist him. And he will flee from you. In First Peter chapter 5, we are told he goes about, walks about like a roaring lion. Doesn't sound someone like who's bound and sealed and chained, does it? And then finally, in, in, in the book of Revelation, in, in Revelation chapter 2, you remember how the Lord Jesus wrote uh, to Pergamon and says, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is presently 
Now, there's many more scriptures I could bring before you, but I've brought seven before you there. There's not a quiz afterwards. Don't worry. We're not going to see if you can remember them all. But I think it's, it's, to my mind, very clear that Satan is active in this world now. And he is deceiving people. And people fall under his deception. And he is not bound. And look, we're going to see the length of the seizure, a thousand years. But look, he is put there that he might not deceive the nations any longer. Now, really, is that happening now that he's not deceiving people? Well, maybe I'm a bit simple. Maybe you'll say amen to that statement. But to me, he is. He is deceiving. And this clearly describes a time in the future where his influence will not be around. He will not be able to be deceived. People will not need to resist him because he's not, under an, he's not influencing them. They wouldn't have to resist him. He's not going around like a roaring lion because he's chained. And so this is a future time. And, and let's rejoice in this as well. But... You know, sometimes I know, I know in an audience like this, I hardly need to say this. It's not an equal battle between God and Satan. Two equal powers try to see who's going to get the winning. There's only one. We, we see that quite clearly. This is, you know, our comic books or some comic books might portray it like that. But he is bound. He's allowed to do what he does now under the authority of God, under God's wisdom to do that. But in a future time, as we're going to see, and the length of time is a thousand years. Now, that term is often called the millennium, and that comes from a Latin word for thousand and year. So millennium is just a common term. Some people say, oh, millennium is not found in the Bible. Well, I understand that, but neither is Trinity, but it helps us describe God. And millennium helps us to describe this thousand years. The word thousand years or the phrase thousand years is found six times just in this section that we have read tonight. Six times. There's no reason to think it's anything other than a literal term. One thousand years. Satan will be bound. Christ, as we'll see, will reign for one thousand years. Then after a little while, verse seven, when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison. This is a word of prophecy. We read that. Right at the start, Revelation will tell you who, who, who keeps these words of prophecy. So let me just illustrate. You might remember in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah was told by God that the people of Israel would be taken into captivity for 70 years. And they were. And Jer- God said that to Jeremiah, 70 years they'll be in captivity. And you might remember... I'm sure you do. In the book of Daniel, Daniel starts to read the book of Jeremiah and he understands that the captivity must be coming to an end because God has said it's 70 years and Daniel's able to say, hey, we're at that time now. We're at that time now. He read Jeremiah, word of prophecy, 70 years. He thought, yes, I know what that means. That means 70 years. And likewise for us, I can see some of you smiling. You know where I'm going. We can read here a thousand years and know exactly what that means. A thousand years. Again, I have good friends who will say that means a really long time or a really big long time. Well, if the author wanted to say that in the book of Revelation, we've got phrases which have been used 
to describe a really lot of people for it. It's countless multitudes, there's numbers of stars in it. There's lots of pictorial language given. But here, it's a thousand years, as much as the seven churches were seven churches. Okay, there's a number and a term given. And so, I know I've laboured the point, but I know some of you, all of you will be exposed to, to good Christian people who think differently, but I want to say this is what I think the Bible teaches, and I want to tell you why I think that, and hopefully, well, well, hopefully you'll agree with me, but if you don't, you can let me know. So the length of time Satan is bound, and the very purpose, as we've said already, is that he might not deceive the nations any longer. So it's amazing, isn't it, that there is going to be this thousand years upon this earth when Satan's influence will be taken away, no one will be able to say at that point, the devil made me do it. No one will be able to say that. In fact, when we use those ter- that terminology now, um, it's probably overused anyway. It's normally the flesh that makes us do things. But no one could say then the devil made me do it. He's chained and he is bound. Of course, at the end of the thousand years, there's going to be a test Can mankind still be deceived? We'll get to that. But verses four to six then says, then I saw, so that we mark on, verses four to six. It's amazing, isn't it? We've spent a lot of time in the book of Revelation from chapter four onwards, and we looked at a seven-year period, mostly, the tribulation. And here in sort of three verses, we get a thousand years. But this is it. John sees thrones occupied. Now, we don't see here in the book of Revelations who's on those thrones. But the Bible doesn't leave us ignorant. The Bible doesn't leave us ignorant on that. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 19. He says to his 12 uh, disciples, truly, I say to you, in the new world, when the son of man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So we do know that the 12 apostles, those who are the 12 apostles, will judge the 12 tribes of Israel. Into this thousand year reign, because some of you are probably just thinking now, who is upon the earth then in these times? Okay, we're going to see, look at these people judging. But into the earth has gone, as we see at the end of Matthew chapter 24, are those who have gone through the tribulation period, who have become believers in Jesus Christ, who have been preserved by God, and they go through bodily, through the tribulation into this time. Those who are rejected have been taken away. You know, that uh, in Matthew 24 isn't the rapture that taken away, that's taken into judgment. And so in to this thousand-year reign, bodily go those who have been gloriously and graciously saved by God in this time. And we, we read that, didn't we, in Revelation chapter 11? Was it not that there would be a countless multitude of them as well, that God, in the midst of this, sorry, in chapter 7, and God does a great work in saving those who come out of that tribulation time. So there'll be many. And so the apostles will sit on the thrones, but not only them. 1 Corinthians 6, 2 tells us this. Well, Paul spoke to the Corinthians and says, do you not know? 
Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? You might remember the Corinthians were having disputes among themselves and they couldn't sort things out. And Paul rather said, well, you should be able to sort things out because in a future time, you're actually going to judge the world. And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? You know, so he's saying you should know this. You should know that you're going to judge the world. And then there's that verse in Second Timothy, chapter two, verse 12. If if we endure. We will also reign with him. So if we endure presently, if we endure in these times. With Christ. We will future reign with him. And so there is a future time given to the church of God, to everyone who is a believer in Jesus Christ, that they will come co-heirs with Christ and they will reign with him in this glorious thousand year reign of Christ upon the earth. There are those, it seems, that are raised at the end of the tribulation, the Old Testament saints. They came to life. You see at the end of verse 34, it says there, there are those who are upon the throne. And what we see, there are those marked out who come to life and reign with Christ for a thousand years. And so there is what is the Bible calls this first resurrection. And that doesn't mean a resurrection just in one sort of little time. There is everything in its order. You know, First Corinthians 15 tells us that Christ in his order, then others. But the Bible differentiates between the first resurrection and what we then could call the second resurrection. The Lord Jesus spoke about that in John chapter five. Do not marvel. Remember the words? Do not marvel at this for an hour. A time is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. All those who have done good to the resurrection of life. And those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. And so this first resurrection, which accomplishes the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, the resurrection of the church. And now the resurrection, as I see it, as the Old Testament saints and those who died in the tribulation. There is that first resurrection and they will come to life and they will reign with Christ. Blessed Verse six, blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. And is that not true? What a blessing. What a blessing. A marvellous act of God's grace. That you as a believer in Jesus Christ will share in that first resurrection. And that you will reign with Christ upon this earth for a thousand years. Holy is how God will see you, how God sees us now. Holy is how we will be. Because we remember this, we will, we, there'll be a coming time where we will see him and we will be like him. Amazing, isn't it? All those Thoughts that I have, all the thoughts that you have, all those motives, you know all the things, don't you? And the things we keep hidden from each other, none of that will be with us. All gone. Blessed and holy who share, he who shares in that first resurrection. Over such, the second death 
has no power. You know, the second death speaks of that eternal separation from God. It is a death from which there is no resurrection. In simplicity, or in summary, it's like born twice, die once. Born once, physically only, die twice. There's a second death. That's the normative, isn't it? I know some of you will say, well, some people didn't die ever uh, and will just go to be with Christ. But we get, you see the idea. If you have been born again, you will not experience that second death. If you have been born again, you will share in this first resurrection. And so will all the redeemed, those before Christ's death and those after Christ's death will share in that. And this will be a glorious reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the, the curse that is upon this world will be reversed, not totally removed at this stage. OK, not totally removed at this stage. There, there is still death. There is still death. We'll think about that. But I just want to bring into your minds, if I could, very quickly, what this, what it will be like. We've thought of the terrible devastation of the tribulation, having all those judgments upon and how this earth is going to look. But when Christ comes, it's going to be reversed. Imagine. I'll give you seven. Now, if you write, you can write down the references. Don't turn to them because you know, it's a race. It'll be too much. Imagine a world with a righteous ruler. Isaiah 32, verse one. Behold, a king will reign in righteousness and princes will rule in justice. Imagine a world with universal peace and disarmament of all weapons. Isaiah 2, verse four. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many people. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. Amazing. How about a time when there is abundant crops upon this world's surface? Amos 9.13. The days are coming when the ploughman shall overtake the reaper. The reaper's just bringing so much in, he's going to get overtaken. And the treader of grapes who sows the seed, the mountains shall drip sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. How about a time when there's worldwide recognition of the Lord, the true Lord? Habakkuk 2.14 for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. How about a time when Jerusalem is not attacked and Israel is not under attack, but the head of the nations? That's what's going to happen. Isaiah 2 verse 3. Many people shall come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his way, his ways, that we may walk in his path. For out of Zion shall go to the shall go the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. You know, Israel in that time will be the head of nations and Jerusalem will be that city recognized. And there will be worldwide blessings and Christ's rule will come from on earth from there at that time. He will set his feet on that Mount of Olives. Humanity will thrive. Number six, 
Isaiah 65, verse 20. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. You know, when, when a person in the thousand year reign of Christ dies, and if they die a hundred, it's untimely. They didn't live a long time. You know, that curse is being, re- is being reversed, not totally removed. And then number seven, this one you'll know as well. Animal life transformed. Isaiah 11, verses 6 to 9. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together. You know, a cow and a bear, the young will lie down together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. Change diets. Change diets. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. You see, when the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come to this earth, conditions are radically changed. That is his power. You know, the world did see something of this when he first come. He showed something of that in his healing work, didn't he? He showed something when he raised people from the dead, you know, the kingdom, what it would look like. It was, if you like, a trailer for the real event. And here, as I've brought before you in just a little way, is something of what it looks like. So that's the taste. That's the condition upon this earth when Christ come. The tribulation, the curses of that are going to be removed and Christ will transform it and rule righteously. The world's not seen anything like this. And you're finding it hard to grasp at the minute in your mind. What's that going to be like? I can hardly picture that. And neither can I. But there it is. And that's the future for you. That's the future for me. I need to really get that in, don't I? And so do you. And of course, well, no one's now, everyone's going to follow Christ, aren't they? Well, defeat of Satan. Let's look at this, verses 7 to 10. At the end of this glorious thousand-year reign, just for a short time, Satan is going to be released. The great deceiver will be allowed out. And after thinking just a little bit about the millennium conditions of the rule of Jesus Christ, you think he's going to be allowed out. Well, he's not going to. That's going to be a failure, isn't it? No, I mean, he's not going to be able to deceive anyone now. They've, they've spent all this time. They've seen the righteous rule of Christ. No one's going to fall for that, surely. But we see they do. In fact, he goes out to deceive And he gathers up a a vast army. And you're you're thinking, well, how's that? All who entered the millennium were believers. Regenerate people. Because they had children. They had grandchildren. They had great-grandchildren. They had great... And we go on. And all of them needed to be saved. As we need to be saved. And obviously some were not. Many were not, it would seem. And Satan comes out for this one last battle and he has deceived them. 
You know, it reminds us that the heart of man is deceitfully wicked. What the Bible called, well, not the Bible, sorry, what theologians call the depravity of man is true. And without uh, uh, the work of the grace of God in a person's life, they will remain like that. And you and I would remain like that. Even in those great conditions, it still needs that regenerate and work of God in a person's life to enable them to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Otherwise, they'll be blind to that and they'll be deceived to that. And they'll naturally bend away from that. That is what sin does. So he's able to see if he gathers a large number, they go against, as we see in verse uh, number nine there, the beloved city. I take that to be Jerusalem. There's a great camp. And in very short summary statement, we see the outcome. Fire came down from heaven and consumed them. That loved city. They stood around that. But fire come down in the briefest of statements. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire. He joins there the beast and the false prophet. And this very unholy, evil trinity are now all straight in to the lake of fire. You know, the devil, of course, was, as we thought, defeated at Calvary. But that victory is yet to be seen in its complete fulfilment. It's assured. There's no doubt. But he will finally be placed in to the lake of fire. We read they'll be tormented there forever and ever. And so he is gone. The great adversary, the one who appears on the page of Scripture in Genesis chapter 3, that fallen one who has been opposed to mankind has gone. But then in this last section, 11 through to 15, we see the judgment of our Lord Jesus Christ. There has been a righteous reign of Christ upon this earth. And there now comes a pure and holy judgment. It's called the great white throne judgment. And white reminds us of purity. And this is a pure judgment. Who sits on the throne? Well, it is Christ John chapter 5 verse 22 reminds us that the father judges no one but has given all judgment to the son. And you might remember when Paul stood up in Athens on Mars Hill there in Acts chapter 17. He he reminded them that in the past God has overlooked their ignorance. In the presence he calls them to repent because in the future he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed and this, of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. And so Paul spoke to the Athenians and reminded them, or told them, taught them, that Jesus Christ will judge in righteousness. It's a judgment that can be avoided. It's a judgment that can be avoided. Let's remember that. In John chapter 5, we've been there a few times in my quotes tonight, but the Lord says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Whoever hears my word, 
Whoever, that's still the message, whoever hears my word and believes whom he sent me does not come into judgment but has passed from death to life. But this is it. This is all those who partake of this second resurrection are brought before the Lord Jesus Christ. We read earth and sky have fled away. The heavens have gone, you know, come next week, Lord willing, and we'll find there's something better. There's a new heavens and a new earth. But they're fled away. And John sees this vision. There's no exceptions about who appears. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And they're going to stand and there's books opened. Plurality of books. There's going to be evidence, books opened. Every detail is known. No, no detail is missing. No data is missing. No evidence is going to come to light in a further day. Nothing will be fabricated of the evidence here in this judgment. It is the judgment of our Lord Jesus Christ, a pure and righteous judgment. We read that the book of life is opened. It is the Lamb's book of life. And in the Lamb's book of life appears the names of all those who will be saved and would be saved and had been saved uh, through the Lord Jesus Christ. And those pages will confirm that none who are appearing at this judgment are written in that book. Is there any defence? Anything in mitigation? No. The things that will be read out are true. There's no amplification. There's no dilution. And punishment, which will come, because we see it all, the sea gives up, the deaf and Hades give up, all who are in them. There's none accepted. And punishment will be on the basis of the light that people have received. Punishment will be based on the light that people have received. To those who receive the law, they will be punished according to the law. To those who had the law written in their hearts, they'll be based on that. I want you also to remember this, what the Lord Jesus Christ said in Matthew chapter 11. He speaks to Capernaum. Capernaum had seen great works of Jesus Christ. And he says, you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? Now, he's speaking not to every single individual, but in general, because the place by and large had rejected him. They'd seen so much evidence and heard so much teaching about Christ. Matthew eleven twenty three twenty four, you, he says, will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Now, I don't need to tell you the details of why Sodom and Gomorrah were judged. You know that fully well. Sexual immorality of the baser sort. But Jesus says it will be more tolerable for them on the day of judgment. It doesn't say they're going to avoid judgment. But it will be more tolerable. What was the great sin of Capernaum? The light they received about Jesus Christ. The evidence that they had and the rejection of him. You see, 
God will judge. The Lord Jesus Christ will judge. Not perhaps according to what, how we think. As we read and we look at things and we see there's terrible things what people do. And, and that's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. But we see here that the light that people receive with regard to the gospel and the rejection of that, the greater the light, the greater the judgment if you reject. It appears to us, doesn't it? It's no light thing for people to receive and reject the gospel. Greater judgment comes for that. There is no appeal. There is no higher court. How can there be? There is no injustice. Each will give an account of themselves and of no one else. And what we see. Well, death and Hades are finally gone. Death is gone. Verse 14. And they experience what is called the second death. To those who haven't been born again, there is no second death. Or ha- to those who haven't been born again, there is a second death. This lake of fire. The contrast is stark, isn't it? The contrast is absolutely stark as we look at this passage tonight. As you as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, what a future there is for you. Yes, you, will, yes, you and I will have to endure whatever we're called to endure upon this earth. Whatever that might be, whatever the path is marked out for us. But if I could just say in plain language, this is the worst it's going to be. This is the worst it's going to be. As in here, there's a great future. There's a great future for you. You know, you've come to him, you know, forgiveness of sin. And you know all of that. But for those who haven't submitted to Jesus Christ... And have not come to him for forgiveness of sin and eternal life. They face an eternity of everlasting agony. And misery. That you and I cannot completely grasp. And it's possible for them. Possible for them to change that destiny in their current life through faith in Christ. Who died at the cross at Calvary so that they might not endure the punishment that we see here and might enjoy eternal life that can be changed. And life in all its fullness can be experienced in the future and eternal life with Christ can be enjoyed now. But if by God's grace you have this new birth, and I pretty much know everyone here tonight, don't I? There is an eternity of everlasting joy. That we can only grasp a little of. One day you and I will be free from sin and all its manifestations and its consequences. We will be with Christ. We will reign with Christ. We will enjoy that millennial kingdom. And as we will see, we will be ushered. And we'll think about this in a coming day. God willing, be ushered into a new heaven and a new earth. An eternity with him. The future for the believer is bright. The first century Christians would have been encouraged with that, refreshed in that as they endured persecution. And friends, what, I don't know what's going to befall us. I don't know what's going to befall you. But let that hope, that sure and certain hope, encourage you as we go in to this world. May God bless his word to us. Let us pray.
Father, we give thanks tonight we can read your word. We haven't read fables or fairy stories. We've thought of truth from your word and we thank you for that tonight, our God. And our prayer would be that, Lord, as the promise given at the start of the book of Revelation might be ours, that blessed is he who not only reads this word, but hears it and keeps it. And Father, may we keep that within our hearts and with our minds. And may it cause us to live lives that glorify you and bring great comfort to ourselves. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.